there's a big thing these mm. days, I'll just say to this, where people say, I'm just telling the truth. Yeah. No, darling, it's your truth. Mm. We've got a president now who bypasses the press, calls the New York Times or whoever it is fake news and just tweets. And when stuff gets challenged, quite often the response is, people should be allowed to say what they want to say because it's free speech. I believe for the new Doctor Who's, there are women on board and all yep. the rest, but as we always say, let's see what makes it to screen. I've oh, got yes. several Alexas at home. Yeah. She turns off my lights for me. She plays music for Does me. she, she turn you on, radio for, Well, <laughs> she probably would if I asked her. <laughs> I think we have to look at history before we start making as many changes as a lot of young people are looking to make mm. who don't seem to know how many footprints that we have made along the way. Exactly. Why would you do that on it. National I, 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 Why would you do it on that? Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, well, I teach you a lesson. An actress goes on a reality oh, program okay. yes. who, who ha <clears throat> let's put it this way, she hasn't starred in many films lately. Uh, Katie Manning, Paul Joseph, Gail Renard and Andy Cast join me, Nick Randall, to celebrate SNS Online's 10th birthday by considering the many changes that have occurred over the last 10 years. So mm. I mean, we created that in Doctor Who. Yeah, and the Green Death. Really? Yes, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You see, you're on my subject now, kids. Come on. <laughs> Professor Jones took no, Katie up the Amazon. No. The Five Debaters. Available now. I'm slightly worried we've not quite given you a debate, more just like a lively chat. Now, I've always had this attitude to men. If you repulse me, I'm, you know, whereas if you're nice, you can put your hand on me now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm Arts, lifestyle, SNS online. Hello, good people. While continuing our celebration of no less than 10 years of SNS, we're in Salford's Media City in sunny Manchester. <sighs> well, we can't have it all. To catch up with our friends in the north, who happen to be some of our top guests from previous shows, and how blessed are we that they've all agreed to come on again. Talk about a glutton for punishment. So, in a welcome back Salford-centric part one of two, it's time, first of all, to speak to one of my absolute faves, and let's face it, one of the nations, as we head to Manchester's Royal Exchange Theatre. Oh, I'm right excited. Taxi for Randall! So I'm in the Royal Exchange Theatre with the wonderful Julie Hesman-Helsch. Hello again. Hello again, Nick. Yeah. Now, obviously, since we spoke to you at the Royal Court, there's been Broadchurch, Happy Valley. You've done a lot of theatre, a lot of charity stuff as well. Where do we begin? What are some of the highlights for you? Oh, cracky. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, it was a long time ago, wasn't it? So I was at the Royal Court doing God Bless the Child. And um, and since then, I, yeah, I've yeah, i done quite a lot of theatre, actually. I did a, a play here at the Royal Exchange called Wits, which was pretty life-changing for me, really. I played a, an American professor who was dying of cancer. It's a beautiful play by Margaret Edson. And um, and that, uh, that won a lot of awards and things. And, and I think that really... Uh, help people who saw it to start seeming in a different light from Haley, you know, because it was it was so completely different from from anything I'd played before. In the cab uh, coming here, the cab driver said to me, "Oh, Julie's new play. Does she get a kiss off in it?" 
Uh, yeah, that, that's because of Wade. Uh, because at the end of Wade, there's a moment where um, she kind of like transcends <gasps> the earthly being. So, yeah, yeah. so that I did set my clothes off very, very briefly. It's got to be done. Well, yeah, everyone seems to <laughs> talk about it all the time. But yeah. I didn't even yeah. know about it. It, was, it wasn't really salacious <laughs> at all. But, um, but yeah. Um, yeah, and then I did Happy Valley, which was over the moon to be asked to do that. And then Broadchurch, um, which was just an incredible summer filming that. And uh, and yeah, so so it's, it's been a, a wonderful, happy roller coaster for you. It really has, yeah. yeah. And it's really kind of been such a, a variety of exciting and rich stuff. I've done loads of radio as well, radio plays, which I love. And so yeah, yeah, I've, I've not looked back really. It's been fantastic. Oh, that's wonderful. Let's talk about this particular play you're in, uh, the greatest play in the history of the world. Now, that's quite a title. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a, it's a bit of a difficult sell, actually, with that. But, um, yes, yeah, so the play explains. Um, yes, so the greatest play in the history of the world is written by my husband, Ian, um, a couple of Christmases ago. I bullied him and said, uh, write me a play, write me a one-woman play, and then we can retire off it and go travelling around the world and be like, oh, there's a little, there's a little festival in Vancouver, let's, let's get over there. So, um, and bless him, he obediently did, and um, just kept disappearing to the cellar, where I keep him, uh, and working, working for, well, not telling me what he was doing, and not even disappearing for irritatingly long amounts of time. Just did he for, not even give you a clue what it was about? No, no. No, no, he didn't tell me anything. He just, he just, and you know, he does go off and just answer a few emails now and again and whatever. And then at the end of the Christmas holidays, he he handed it to me and there's this beautiful play, the first draft of it, um, which was called The Greatest Play in the History of the World. And the title came before anything else, apparently. And so it's a a love story set in time and space, set on um, a road in the north of England, but it could be anywhere. Um, But the backdrop to it is the story of the golden record on Voyager 1, which is now drifting through time and space, waiting to be found by extraterrestrial life. A committee was assembled to decide which images and sounds should go on to the golden record. And this committee was chaired by Carl Sagan. You'd have liked Carl Sagan. He was a real personality, a dope smoker, a a rock star scientist who ruminated on a great many things in our world and beyond. He had so many different careers all colliding and overlapping. It was as if he knew that he wouldn't live to an old age, that he had to cram it all in. This via Carl Sagan is my advice to you all. Cram it in. I remember it very well in 77 when it all went off. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm of that vintage. Uh, well, well, yeah. I mean, a lot of people are really, you know, and it was the anniversary, obviously, last year, and that's when we first did the play. And um, and a lot of people are massive Carl Sagan fans. You know, he's a bit of a sort of legend in, in science circles and people really love him. And, and he was the person who chaired the committee to decide which images um, and sounds um of Earth, they were going to send into space, mm. so that if alien life did find this disc, what what would they mm. learn about Earth from it? So, so that's the kind of sort of meat of the play, but against this 
this really simple love story. And and it's gone down a treat. We took it to Edinburgh. We're at the Travis at Edinburgh for a month in August. I was gutted I missed that because I was there the year before for the 70th anniversary. So I'm oh, so pleased I got to see it. Oh, we made it. We're making up for it now. Yeah. So it's fine. It's fine. You know, and it's like, and actually, this is this is where we started it. And it's mm. lovely to come back here and do it, you know. And and it's there's a real, uh, this this is like my my theatre. Do you know what I mean? This it's is spiritual. Well, well, it kind of is like, it's where I'm most at home. And uh and I know everyone here. It's a brilliant place to work, and and Manchester's my city, you know. So so it feels really nice to bring it back here. But I think this will be the start of uh, a long life of it, you know. So don't you can catch it in a community centre in you know Norwich in 2034 or something. I'll be touring it for the rest of my life now. Be careful what you wish for. <laughs> brilliant. Um, it was so funny when I came into the theatre and you were there early, and I wasn't expecting you to be there. I put you know behind hiding behind the scenes, and you were just and I thought can I say hello or are you in character? And if you speak to me, am I suddenly going to be involved in something a bit weird? And I was a bit nervous first of all. So you yeah, said, yeah. gave me a huge hug. Yeah, people are terrified of audience <laughs> participation, aren't they? Um, no, no, I really, I do that really. I'm, I'm just in the theatre milling around when people come in and, and was in Edinburgh as well, just because it, it really, it, it chills me out. It relaxes me just to be able to say hello to everyone and see who's in and then there's no surprises for me. And also, you know, there's, there's little bits that I do with the audience beforehand that I use in the show later. So, so yeah, no, it's really nice for me because it just makes me feel a little bit like embedded in it and yeah. I'm like rolling this together kind of thing. Absolutely. No, it was lovely. It was lovely. And uh, uh, such a lovely play. So emotional, uh, but also shades of Sapphire and Steel. I don't know if you remember that series, where it was all about, <laughs> I mean, that's more the, the, the nuts and bolts of, of what is actually supposed to be happening. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that's, that's interesting. Time stopping. And yeah, like yeah, that. yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, because that's the idea that time stops, mm. you know, on a, on a road and, and what happens in that. And uh, and as, as you would, Ian, explain in the Q&A, um, that's, that was his first kind of thought. And, and he said that normally when he writes something, he, he structures it very carefully. He loves structure and he sorts out the structure and then fills in the gaps. But with this, it was very much just starting with the title and then just thinking about what it would be like to be on a, a, a road when time stops mm. and to be the only person who's kind of awake in that moment. And uh, and that was the starting point for the whole play. But but yeah, it's uh, it's lovely. I love doing it. Mm. I love doing it because it, it's a very, it's a really gentle story piece. But also, I think it's got a lot to say in these very troubled times mm. about what really matters at the end of yeah. the day, you know, about what you leave behind and, and you know, what life has ultimately meant mm. to you and, and what your time on earth has meant. And, and it's, it's just lovely. People seem to be really responding to it, so it's great. So in terms of, like, uh, you know, other stuff in the future, obviously you're still a jobbing actor. What other things are you... Or has or this really encompassed everything at the moment? <laughs> uh, no, 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 I've done a few things this year. I've done I've done um, a couple of tellies, um, a couple I can't talk about. Uh, Doctor Who, Doctor Who! No, well, no, no, I can't. I, no, you couldn't talk about that anyway. Uh, well, yeah, if I was in Doctor Who, <laughs> I certainly wouldn't be able to tell you. Um, but no, I did Catastrophe. You know, the Rob Delaney and uh, Sharon oh, yes. Oregan. I did a, a guest lead on the first episode of that, and uh, that that was brilliant fun. That was a dream come true working with them. So has that, that come out yet? No. Okay. No, no, that, that series hasn't come out yet. Um, so that's coming up. Yeah. So there'll be there'll be a few things coming up this autumn that will pop up in, and uh, and then after that, I'm doing another play here in the new year. I'm doing Mother Courage. Brett Mother wow, you're yeah. going to be carrying the ambulance around on stage. Well, no, it's a new version. It's a new <laughs> version set in the future, and it's written very much like with me in mind. Anna Jordan, um, who's a great writer, has written it. So it's a it's a, a very new 
quite sort of vibrant version of it. So, so yeah, yeah, that'll be. And what do you think about Jodie Whittaker? Your your pal from Broadchurch as Doctor Who. Oh, it's just the absolute best. It's just the absolute best. I mean, she is one of the most brilliant people I've ever worked with. She's so funny. She's so smart. She's so inclusive and warm and down to earth. It's like when I found out it was a, I'd gone out for lunch with her the week before and um, and I <laughs> and I'd said to her, "What what are you up to?" And she was like, "Nothing, absolutely nothing." <laughs> and then the week after, um, it was on the front of one of the papers that she was like the front runner in, in the odds yeah. to play it. And yeah, I, I saw that. And I, yeah, yeah, and there hadn't been any whisper of that. No co- connection it. to it. Yeah, no, none at all. So I thought it'd be Olivia Coleman, possibly. I mean, I just you know, there were so many different names going around. I knew it could have be, been you. I knew it wouldn't be Olivia because uh, of I the crown. Used, and, no, well, no, no, the crown hadn't oh. come up then. No, she, she. Um, I knew she just didn't want to do it. You know, okay. she, uh, yeah, it I didn't wasn't. know that. Right. Yeah, no, it just, it's just, I don't think it would have been a cup of tea yeah, yeah. at all. That's fair enough. Um, just to say, you make a lovely cup of tea. Oh, uh, yeah, I was going to call you Hayley. But <laughs> uh, um, so, yeah, yeah, so I was really chuffed for it. Yeah, yeah. So, Julie, thank you so much. It's been wonderful having a little mini catch-up uh, today. I appreciate it so much. Oh, and as always, uh, we always give presents to the guests. I don't know if you remember from last time. And oh, uh, bottle of champers you. for you. Oh, thank you very much. That's lovely of you. Thank so do enjoy you. it with Ian Thank and toast for play. Thank you very much, Nick. <laughs> Cheers. Thank you. The wonderful Julie Hesman House there. And just to say that there'll be a bite-sized featurette concerning the greatest play in the history of the world coming up soon on SNS, where we chat to Julie's husband, writer Ian Kershaw, and the play's director, Raz Shaw. A play which is clearly destined for further runs in Vancouver, Norwich, and wherever else Julie and Ian happen to visit. Now, while we're on the subject of Julie, I've since found out from a very reliable source that Julie Hesmanhausch is totally going to be in Doctor Who. So all I can say is this, Julie award-winning pants on fire. <laughs> Actually, I am totally excited about this and can't wait to find out what her part is. Now it's time for some music before we catch up with Manchester's and indeed the UK's finest ambient digi folk musician, Minute Taker, a.k.a. Ben McGarvey.
Garvey, aka Minute Taker, one of our fave guests from Series 2, I think. Uh, we have you on the line. Hello, Ben. Hi. So, I think there's an awful lot to catch up on since we last uh, chatted about, was it about three to four years ago now? You had already released, I think, three albums at that point and you're working on a special new show called to love someone melancholy let's sort of take it from there really um what's been happening i must say that i have observed your fan base seems to be really building up and you seem to be doing a lot of stuff on social media which is which is fantastic well thank you yeah um so i, I actually that show to love somebody melancholy which was due to be my third album um i toured that last year was it last year yeah 2017 did like a uk tour and yeah, I'm still recording the album, but um, I've kind of got a bit of a backlog of albums, so I'm not sure it's going to be the next one because I've got another one nearly finished, which I'm going to be releasing <laughs> soon. Um, it's all a bit, of a, it's all a bit shambolic. But um, I did, uh, I re- released a mini album last year called Reconstruction, mm. um, which uh, which I also did a tour for earlier this year and did like a little UK tour of quite atmospheric churches. I just like the, um, I like the acoustics. I like the. The, the atmosphere of the room and and also I, I picked all churches that had you know pianos because a lot of venues don't have pianos these days which is a real shame right and i seem to remember you had a lovely set that was the backdrop to your gig in the church in covent garden which one i saw and um, which you were trying to auction off at the end of it because you had no room in your sitting room or something to, to keep it oh see yeah yeah it, it, so we had like a giant open book made That's um it. projection to go on to yeah, but it was enormous, unfortunately. So when the tour was over, I did have to um, find a new home for it because pa- it was taking up half of my living room. Your partner <laughs> wasn't prepared to, to put up with it. <laughs> no, and the cats thought it was a giant scratch toy. Oh, my God. That's <laughs> so funny. So two tours since we last spoke. I mean, that's, that's amazing. In wonderful venues, so very atmospheric as well. I mean, your, your, your music is very spiritual, sir, I would oh, say. Without being religious, but it, it yeah. does evoke uh, mystery and imagination unconfined but would you sort of agree with that oh well i aim to yeah so that's that's great that that comes through i've been reading some of the comments in your uh, facebook uh, page your minute taker page which is building up and up and and so many people have such wonderful comments um about your music it must be quite um heartwarming yeah it really is and it really keeps me going you know because it is it is hard work and low pay but you know it's uh, but really everybody's uh, everybody's you know, comments really do mean an awful lot. So, so every day they they um they help to kind of boost me up when I'm you know feeling a bit overwhelmed with it all sometimes. <laughs> mm, absolutely. And just to say that you have actually given up your job with uh, was it Manchester Arts or remind me? Yeah, I was working at the uh, the Arts Council a couple of years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So you've now. I mean, that is cutting the cord, isn't it? You you are now yeah. you are now floating down that river uh, without a without a I don't know a parachute. No, that's the wrong analogy. But <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean. Yeah. Without a paddle. Uh, uh, but paddle will do. Paddle will do very well. Yeah. Thank you for for being my prompt. So what what else is happening? What how do you feel your music is actually evolving? Are you noticing any changes in 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 your thought processes or? Yeah, well, I feel like I, like I've been working a lot on my production over the last kind of few years. Um, so I've really, I think, I think it's definitely developed. I've been, you know, kind of studying a lot of things online, and and you know, because I I've always been a very creative producer, but I haven't, you know, I haven't really had the the training or the you know the kind of a lot of the kind of discipline in in the, in all the kind of technical side of things. So I've been really trying to get that up to speed as well so they're kind of so i've also got so i'm just gonna have to let my cat in because she's screaming 
Oh, little pussycat. Oh. Poor little pussycat. I just leave the door open. For... She just screams pussycat. until you until you open doors. What's her or his name? <laughs> She's called Blue. B- Blue. Yeah, well, I've got oh, two. I, I, I thought you were, because it's a Skype line, I thought you said glue. I thought, oh. <laughs> do, it, do I sort of say, oh, great. <laughs> mm. Sniff out. Um, what was I saying? I, um, I don't know. <laughs> oh, yeah. So the uh, my music production, I've been working a lot on, uh, yeah, developing that, finessing that, and trying to get my, um, my technical abilities kind mm. of... Uh, improved as well so I, I do think um i've come on in that area over the last few years and uh, and hopefully you know i think the, re- the recordings are, are sounding kind of um a bit more sophisticated and cleaner what would you say would be a good example of a, like a recent track that you're really proud of that perhaps uh, sums up your you know your your latest techniques as, as well as uh, the heart and soul of minute taken <laughs> i suppose anything off my uh, recent mini album reconstruction um i'm I'm pretty happy with it. Usually, it's usually about a year or two before I can't even listen to the songs anymore because because there's so many things I want to change. But that yeah. one's just on the cusp now. <laughs> <laughs> so, any particular track that you, you will we'll give a little blast? Um, maybe have a bit of uh, nothing to fear. Brilliant. Let's do it. say one thing I, I, I thought is, is a really nice idea is the way you engage with the, your online audience like you'll put a picture of some mysterious scene uh, in the <laughs> woods with a full moon and you say well now what sort of music is this evoking and um, it just gets a lovely thread of conversation going and yeah we, I think you just have a, a very good personal touch with your social media. Oh, thank you. Yeah, a lot of people have been saying they like those images. I'm always trying out different things, you know, on social media um, because, you know, you don't want to just post constantly about your own music and stuff because yeah. it's boring. And, you know, so it's I try and intersperse it with things that just kind of that are kind of around the culture of what I do, but not really directly what I do. Because, mm. of course, you're a big Kate Bush fan and uh, yeah. you're a big uh, pussycat fan as well. So there's pictures of you with your cats and, and, and dogs yeah. and all sorts. It's, it, it just makes it a bit more personal. I like it. Yeah, well, you know what animals are like. There's no end of photo opportunities. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Another thing I've um, I've just done is I remixed 
uh, a song for Yazoo, who were actually one of my all-time favourite bands. So that was uh, really exciting. Um, a song um, from the Upstairs at Eric's album called Winter Kills, which has always been one of my favourites. Yes, I remember it well. Yes, yeah, so that's just come out on the new Yazoo box set, Four Pieces, which is um, yeah, it's just it's just been released. I think in the last uh, couple of weeks, and, and there's a that, there's a four record collection, and uh, and then there's also a CD version called Three Pieces, and that's actually my first published remix. So wow. quite excited about that. So is that. that like an officially endorsed remix by Yazoo? I mean, uh, Alison yeah. Moyen and um, the other guy, Vince <laughs> um, <laughs> Clark. Yeah, Vince Clark. I got, yeah, um, I got their approval. So yeah, it was uh, it was actually the the only new remix on the new box set as well. So that was uh, that was nice. That's awesome, uh, mate. That is absolutely awesome. Were you actually sense the the different elements of the track, like Alison Moyen's voice? Without anything else to... Yeah, I certainly was. It was a right little treasure trove to get all of uh, the original... Uh, I bet. <laughs> I bet it was. How exciting. Yeah, I loved it. Oh, that's fantastic. I think we should hear a little bit of that. I watch you sometimes. Ben, but um, a lot of artists these days are using this thing called Patreon, which um, is essentially the fans helping to subsidise the music, and, and in return you get lots of extra bonus tracks and things like that. Are you on anything like that? Because you're obviously working as an individual rather than being slave to uh, you know a particular label. Yeah, well, I don't use Patreon, but I, I have got a similar programme that I started running around this time last year, and it's called Secret Songs. And um, the idea is kind of similar, but when people sign up, they, they get a series of unreleased albums, which I'm, I'm putting them out every few months, basically because I have an awful lot of recordings in my archives that I've never released. So all sorts of things from like um, kind of non-album tracks and, and demos and collaborations and soundtrack songs that I've done for theatre things and mm. cover versions. 
So I decided it'd be really nice to put all of that stuff out kind of unofficially uh, just for fans. So so I started running yeah, Secret Songs last year and, and it's going really well. And um, and we have like a, a Secret Songs uh, Facebook group, community group as well. Oh. So uh, so it's really nice to kind of have um, have a bit of a fan page, I suppose, on there and, for, and to kind of chat with people. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's that's going really well. And it really helps to support me with um, with my day to day you know costs you know paying my bills and stuff you know it's really nice to have a bit of money coming in absolutely um, uh you know aside from just like album sales and gigs and things so it mm. really does make a big difference in helping me to sustain myself mm. that sounds wonderful and lovely for for fans feeling they're getting that very personal touch i mean that's one of the good things that's come out of like you know the new way music is done for uh, emerging artists um mm. i remember you mentioning but there was some album that got destroyed in a fire because you were embarrassed by it. And uh, I want to I want to hear more of that one. Um, <laughs> I think you suggested it. It was destroyed in a fire. No, you said it because I remember. Have you got any of these? We can... <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you have. You got them in your loft or something, haven't you? <laughs> no, sadly, they were destroyed in a fire. <laughs> 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 Um, yeah, well, it's obviously. Was that really early days, Ben? Yeah, well, God, well, when I started learning um, the piano, I, I just started writing songs straight away. I was about twelve or thirteen. Yeah. I just, just started putting out albums straight away, and they were god awful. I'm just winding you up. I'm, I'm being cruel, and I, and I shouldn't because you have so much lovely stuff. But I would, I'd be, I, I bet if I heard your early stuff, I would think it was pretty good. But uh, you can hide it away if you want. I think it you should know, be, it should be a prize. Song. It should be a prize for some big competition or something, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I'd be, I'd still be too embarrassed to show it to anybody. <laughs> Let's talk about some of the people who you've been working with, collaborating with, both live and. I mean, have you been collaborating in the studio at all? No, not really. It's still just all me. I would really like to start working with um, with. I'd really like to start working with some different producers. Actually, um, right. that's something I've been wanting to do for a while, and um, and also, yeah, having a few kind of people kind of uh, guest, you know, appearing as guest vocalists and things on my songs would be great. So, yeah, I really want to start getting more into that. So, who was this uh, Runes character who was uh, guesting with you in one of your tours, Reconstruction? I think. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, well. He actually um, toured with me on To Love Somebody Melancholy as well, because okay. um, I'd put out an advert for that show to find musicians locally who could, you know, perform in the band. And um, and he sent me his stuff and I was just blown away. He makes kind of ambient uh, electro pop, I suppose you'd say. Um, he's he's um, a, a Greek singer-songwriter based in Manchester. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I invited him on To Love Somebody Melancholy and then he, and then he um, supported me. He opened up for me and played on some of my songs on the Reconstruction Tour. Fantastic. And I must say, dear readers who are listening in, it was a fantastic concert. More of those, please. Perhaps bigger venues. Uh, 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 the uh, Somewhere in Rome or somewhere, one of those big <laughs> buildings where the Pope lives. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, g- give us a sort of vague idea of what, where are you heading now? What's the next big step for you? Well, I'm just planning my new album release I'm hoping to get it out early next year. I've been working on it for years. I, um, as I was saying before, I kind of have this backlog of albums, so I'm really keen to get this one out. I, it's my favourite one so far, and and um, yeah, so I'm kind of putting all my energy into that at the moment, as well as I'm just recording a little covers album as well for the third instalment of my Secret Songs mm. series. Was that the cat? Yeah, so they're, they're having a little squabble, I think. Oh, they've got a little bit of Mexican standoff or something, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's always when you need silence, they always seem to like have little squabbles and make all sorts of noises. Oh, wonderful. Um, 
yeah, so I'm just kind of um, trying to get that ready and then I'm going to uh, do a launch next year and um, hopefully do some shows as well. Fantastic. Well, listen, Ben, thank you so much. Ben McGarvey, a.k.a. Minute Taker. And it's lovely to get you back again to find out what's happening. And it seems like a lot is happening. Yeah, it's great to uh, catch up with you. Thank you so much, Ben. All the best. You too. Hello, my name's Elspeth Morrison. I'm a voice coach and I was lucky enough to be on the show in 2011. And I want to say a big happy birthday to SNS Online. So happy birthday to you. SNS Online, you are my inspiration. You are the love of my life. Happy, happy birthday. SNS Online, happy birthday. Ten years old. You look like a day of a nine. Oh, cheers, Lindsay and Radzi. Celebrating no less than 60 years of Blue Peter. I think we've got a lot to beat. Anyway, time now to head to the home of actor, writer, stand-up comedian, bottle washer, partner of the sensational Shirley Houston, another SNS favourite, podcaster, champion of BBC Television's Doctor Who, and writer of his own introduction. <laughs> no, I'm so joking. Mr. Toby Haydock. Taxi for Randall. <laughs> So, Toby, going to chat to you first, uh, Shirley in the Wild. The posh and becks of Manchester, I've decided to call you. Um, basically, it just means you take it in terms to do red carpet events and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, she is certainly not posh. So, uh... <laughs> Just to say, I've observed with both of you, there's quite a variety of work you've done. You've got a Quatermass book coming out. There's been the History of American Radio on BBC4 Extra. Big finish, of course. Celebrating 21 years of your comedy strand on Excess Malarkey. Uh, warm-up man and fluff on the one show I've got written here I think that's a lie uh, the odd uh, Radio 3 play Toby's Obits in the Guardian um, wearing tights and slapping your thigh in the park Shakespeare <laughs> and plenty others and you can use that each, one eat shoots and leaves um, so yeah. that's just the sort of prompts you to, 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 to talk about some of those things because actually just before you arrived I thought what, what have I done since we last spoke? Because time, you know, I, I, I can't, when we last spoke, had I done this, that, or the other? The golden age of American radio was great. That was that was Dom, who I, I think I knew through you. Mm. Or you, you, I think you recommended me. I did you. recommend you, but I, you know, if if I didn't, I think you would have, as cream rises to the surface, you would have bobbed up at some point. Well, it was it was a really nice job to do. I was really the subject matter that I didn't know an awful lot about. And learn as we were preparing to do it. I, I was fascinated, so I thought, well, this is going to be a really good, uh, you know, three hours of, of radio because I'm fascinated by it. Um, and then the feedback from it was fantastic. In the middle years of the 20th century, radio was king. It was the mass medium that could be received anywhere in the world and could talk to anybody. And nowhere was radio more dynamic, more popular, and more prolific than in the United States of America. And uh, what? Uh, and yes, we we both we both. Shirley does too much. Don't tell mm. her I said this, but she does too much trying to help. I mean, she's a tinsel girl. There's a lot of political activism going on. There is. A, there was a fantastic documentary about um, pain sufferers and creativity, which I just thought was so um, on point. 
Yes, I mean, she calls herself an accidental activist. We laughed because she was on Channel 4 News or something. It said, actress and activist. And, and I went, oh, you're an activist now. She, she, I had no idea. Um, uh, and uh, so that's quite... Because you don't, when you're in the bubble of it, you don't think... I don't think, I live with an activist. She just she just tries to use the you know the fact that people will talk to her to, to highlight some very important issues. But it's, I'm very proud because she's done... She's she's done an awful lot with this this choir and uh, and uh, and of course the choir as well. Yeah, and it's and it's amazing. Um, and I've you know and my son's gone and helped out, and that's been really helpful. And it's been it's been lovely. But um, I'm sure she'll tell you all about that. Um, it's funny. I've I've sort of been doing a bit less stand up because I'm getting. Uh, uh, I'm getting fed up of sleeping in a travel lodge in Portsmouth on a Saturday night. Do you know what I mean? So I have deliberately been trying to do more stuff that keeps me at home. Quatermass book should have been delivered this week, but I've just been working for Radio Three on a play about Spike Milligan that was a uh, that was something that had been mooted two years ago, and then two months ago I got a well. It's we're doing it in two months. So I was like, what? what? Um, and and so they said they really liked your idea, and I went can't remember what my idea was. So I had to go back through all my old emails and go, what What did I pitch? And I picked the wrong one because I pitched a couple of different ideas. Uh, and I started working on that and she went, no, no, what about that, that idea that you pitched? And I went, oh, that one. I had to dig that out. Uh, and then it's been quite quick and annoyingly, you know what it's like being freelance. Um, I'd had a time when I could have done it when mm. I was sort of twiddling my thumbs and deliberately saying, uh, but actually when I had to do it, I was playing Friar Lawrence in Romeo and Juliet. And when I was playing Friar Lawrence in Romeo and Juliet, I also had to, on our opening night, uh, I, I shot a film that involved a feature film, which is very exciting. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, uh, But the, <laughs> the filming was on the day we opened Romeo and Juliet. Mm. So I had to get special dispensation. I was picked up from the dress rehearsal. It was an open-air production at Heaton Park at midnight, uh-huh. driven to the wilds somewhere outside Swansea, this old building outside Swansea. Um, filmed all day, mm-hmm. driven back. And I'd planned to play Friar Lawrence um, with a big beard and shaggy hair and like yeah. he's accepting a hedge, but this is a period thing and I needed a pencil moustache and a short back and side. I think I saw the pictures on Facebook. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so so, uh, so all my rehearsal photos of me as, as uh, the dress of Friar Lawrence are not how I looked when I did it because then I... Then I came back and, and, and basically, as you magic of radio, but I have no hair, I shaved it all off mm. uh, and did Friar Lawrence as sort of bald, a bit like Kung Fu because I had a quarter stuff and did, did him as a Glaswegian. Uh, <laughs> so you, you were outside doing this? Yeah. What was the, did you have any issues with weather? No, I'd, we'd done Midsummer Night's Dream last year and got absolutely drenched a number of times. We got rained on once for the whole run of, and it was the penultimate night of Romeo and Juliet. Uh, and it, I mean, it did hair it down for the first half and it was fine for the second half uh and i was say, you know it's quite a, and, and the stoical british audience they've paid the money and they know they know they know you know the sensible ones bring an anorak or whatever but no we were blessed with absolutely gorgeous weather and in fact the only problem i would say we had was when we did a a matinee in the afternoon and it was too hot it was so hot and actually the rain gives you something and it concentrates the mind so I, I, th- I think performance wise when it's raining certainly with Midsummer Night's Dream you cut out a lot of the flabbiness because you know you've got to sort of direct the meaning as it were through through the rain and it really concentrates you in I remember Louise uh, Louise Jameson saying that when she was doing Shakespeare it, the, the leaves were quite an issue um, you know the trees if it was raining it was be, be weighing heavy but if not you get a lot of uh, blowing and <laughs> whooshing and... we had a lot of nuts or you know nugget if they're not nuts they're funny little thing um, when we were doing it in the the woods yeah. sort of falling falling down but that's all right it's yeah. all 
Excellent stuff. So, so what about the rest of it? Uh, had I written The Dad Who Fell to Earth when I last spoke to you, Radio? No. Oh, well, that was great. That went really well. Got nominated for a BBC Audio Award. And I liked it too. It, I was very happy with the way that, that turned out. Ronald Pickup was in it and Sherry Lee was in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, uh, that was... And, and it was, but the, Right, this is the story. I, I turned up for the BBC Audio Awards and um, I bumped into John Bishop, who I've known for many, many years. Yeah. And he was presenting an award. He went, oh, all right, Toby. What are you doing here? And I went, yeah, because it... It hasn't entered your head that I might be up for an award, do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, why would Toby be at an award ceremony? He's definitely not up for something. There's a brush somewhere, yeah. obviously. <laughs> Story of my life, that is. Um, but, uh, and that and that went well. Charlotte Riches, who, who was the producer of that, is a radio producer that has, has frankly, um, you know, changed my life in many ways. And we've done a couple together since, um, uh, including one with... Um, Officer Crabtree, Arthur Bostrom. So that was that was yeah. a bucket list kicked off. But we and, and we've just done as we record this. We're just waiting at the end of the month for the broadcast of my adaptation of Nigel Neal's The Road, which is a lost play from 1963 that uh, many people have tried to get off the ground as a remake. And I didn't realise this at the time. It's only subsequently when I've been having drinks with people they say, "So what are you up to?" And I go, "Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm do- we're doing a remake of Nigel Neal's Road." And these some of these people would be quite going, "God, we tried to get off the ground and we had no luck." And if I'd known all of this, I was just going to say that your husband. Yes, you, sir. And all men like you will be left behind. A mere bone in the rocks, like a creature of the Great Flood, or whatever it was that dog dug up here. The men of the future will be those who see things as they are. Go on, Timothy. Argue, refute him. How can I? He denounces fantasy only to set up another one. I give good sense for nonsense. New lamps for old. Bravo! Come, sir. Try the exchange. He will not. I stand for knowledge, sir, to broaden man's horizons. You seem to see progress at the bottom of a brandy barrel. There we have it. The crutches of petty, trammelling morality. We'll have no need of them. I just, I just threw it in as an idea. Yeah. I, I actually had a page of paragraph pitches, and there was space for one at the bottom. I'd done four. And I thought, well, five is neater, and mm. that'll fit. And I'd actually pitched the road about three years before, okay. and nobody had even said anything. Nobody mm. did even thought, well, 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 So I just thought, well, I'll just stick that in again. And that was the one that, you know, after, after various processes of things being considered and some being dropped for this reason and some being developed for that reason, it was the road that got through. And it's got Mark Gatiss, Adrian Scarborough, Colin McFarlane, Hattie Moran, Francis McGee, Ralph Ineson. It's an amazing cast. That's brilliant. And the, the other play with Jessica Hines and, and another star-studded cast, that's directly after Doctor Who, is that right? It's, it's actually... Unfor- they moved it for you. <laughs> well, unfortunately, no, because somebody pointed out uh, Doctor Who's first episode is an hour. So actually, if you watch Doctor Who, you'll miss the first 15 minutes of mine because mine is on it. Because there's no chance to hear it again, of course. <laughs> yeah, well, thank goodness, because otherwise nobody I know would listen to it. Um, it's typical, you wait for an episode of Doctor Who to come along and then when it does, it's on at the same time as yeah. your thing. But I've never done anything for Radio 3 before. And this is being done live in front of an audience. In fact, as we record this on the Friday, I'm going to Hull later today. And then tomorrow, we rehearse it all day. And my cast is Mark Heap, Pippa Haywood, Stephen White, Jonathan Keeble, who's a brilliant radio actor, and me. And um, I came cheap. <laughs> and uh, 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 and uh, and then Jessica Hines is doing hers. 
she's she's in hers as well i've not met her yet because she's there rehearsing theirs in hull today um and then we do it all all in front of a live audience tomorrow and then it's out what a couple of weeks later Tonight's plays were recorded live at Middleton Hall Theatre in Hull as part of Contain Strong Language, a festival of poetry and performance. So, 100 years after that of his birth, three writers have answered the call for their dramas responding in any way they wish to the life and workings of trooper and trumpeter Spike Milligan. What follows is a synthesis of fact, fantasy and supposition. Going, going goon by Toby Haydock. Our story begins at the beginning of the end, in a hospital ward. The names haven't been changed to protect the innocent, but the facts have. <laughs> what are you in for? Me? Oh, I, I've got a severe case of narration. Oh, how sad. <laughs> Don't know what to say. Wish I didn't. The Milligan? Where? In good spirits, I see. Now, do you know what day it is? Can I have seven guesses? Actually, make it five. With all the cuts, I doubt anyone's working weekends. Just testing to see if you're all there. Well, I know I'm all here. You're all there. What did you say? I told you. I was ill. What about the, the, the 21st anniversary of your stand-up comedy night? Let's yeah. talk about that. Well, that was this week as well. It's oh, been quite a week. Um, yes, Excess Monarchy. It started... Uh, uh, it started as uh, my brother-in-law played in a band in a pub and the pub manager said I think I want to do a comedy night and my brother-in-law went oh I know a comedian I'd been going for a couple of years but you know just doing gigs here and there and uh, I went and talked to him and and I didn't really know what I was doing and because I didn't know what I was doing I somehow didn't realise all of the potential pitfalls so (laughs) anyway whatever happened I thought it would last for eight weeks and would be good experience to compare the same gaff every, every week for eight weeks 21 years later. 21 years Congratulations, later. Congratulations, sir. Thanks. And we had Deliso Chaponda and Robin Ince on our, on our birthday mm. night, which is, which is a fantastic lineup. And we've, we're still getting really good people mm. coming to do it because it's, um, because it's a Tuesday night and because it's not stag do's, hen do's, office parties, birthday parties, mm. so people can do different stuff. And for, uh, uh, for me, it means I know whatever my week is doing. At least on a Tuesday, I'll go and play to nice people who let me muck about. And it's, and I'm, you know, I'm shocked. I sometimes have to take a step back and go, oh, I'm, I'm sort of involved with that. But um, I, I don't know quite why it's, why it's worked, but it has. That's wonderful. The only other thing I was going to say is, obviously, there's a lot of writing going on now with you. Yeah. Perhaps less acting. I mean, where do you feel you're going future-wise? Well, it's nice to be at home writing, and I've got to do this Quatermass. I've taken now, after this week, the time off to finish the Quatermass book, or the first volume of the Quatermass book, because I think it's going to be two volumes now, because I've uncovered bucket loads about the 1950s productions, and I just want people to see this stuff. Um, uh, And, uh, but I will take, I will always prioritise acting work, um, but it's got to be, it's got to be, you know, Friar Lawrence is a great part. Romeo and Juliet was up the road, you know, had it been, you know, Balthazar and in, in Devon, I probably wouldn't have done it, no. but I'll play Friar Lawrence <laughs> up the road. Um, and I've been doing quite a lot of radio acting. I, uh, and I did the, this, this film that I've done. So, oh, oh, yeah, but, but at the moment, just because I've got a couple of things I want to polish off, I've been concentrating on the writing. So, but you don't actively look for acting work, okay? mm. apart from occasionally do a flurry of writing to casting directors mm. or agents to remind them that you're alive. So you never know. There might be something 
in, and also stuff is done at such short notice now. Mm. You'll have an audition and then they'll go, yeah, and can you start on Monday? And you mm. go, yeah, because I've got nothing else mm. going on. But they expect <laughs> you to have nothing else going on because yeah. they're, they're the telly. <laughs> uh, so, I, I, so I, no, I, I, I'll do as, as much acting as, as, as is about. I've, I've done some big, I've done loads of big finishes since last mm. we spoke. But um, if I'm left to my own devices, mm. I will sit down and I will polish off this quote. I've done 150,000 words so mm. far. And I've probably got another the same to go for volume one, but I've got all the information. I've got it all. It's all upstairs. I've just got to get my laptop out and bash it out. Uh, as they say. Well, listen, Toby, thank you so much. It's lovely to have a little um, update with you. I shall chat to your lovely missus in, the, in a while. And um, I'm just, only remains for me, of course, oh. as people always get presents on this show. Oh. A little bottle, bottle of champagne for oh, you. Oh, bless you. <laughs> bless you. Toby Haydick, thank you very much. I, well, I'm, you are wonderful. Thank you very much. <laughs> Toby Haydock there, who's clearly only human. Time to pop back to Media City in Salford now to grab a brief catch-up with no less than two previous guests. The author of A Thousand TV Series You Must Watch Before You Die and BBC iPlayer champion, the totally lovely Paul Condon, and the equally lovely Daniel Liam Glynn, composer of concept album Changing Stations. Taxi for Randall! Lovely to see you again, uh, Paul. So what's been happening since uh, the interview? Well, I've moved up to Salford now, where you're currently interviewing me on the banks of the, uh, the Manchester Ship Canal. Mm. And I work for BBC Online and I basically manage the team of people that keeps iPlayer running. Mm. And we're also the team... Which of we love, by the way, we must say. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> we just make sure that all of the programmes that are supposed to be in iPlayer are in there when they're meant to be. Mm. Um, we're also now responsible for checking every new television episode of every new programme to make sure it's suitable for broadcast before it goes to transmission. Including Doctor Who? Yes, I've seen it. Oh! <laughs> what happens? What happens? I'm not saying a word. It's very, very good, though. Um, but, yeah, uh, I've done a little couple of extra new entries for foreign editions of the 1001 TV shows you mm. must see before you die. We've added in things like Stranger Things, and hopefully there's going to be a complete new version of it later this year, but we don't know yet for certain. OK, okay fantastic. Um, what about other books? I mean, do you think there might be a children's version of this, um, this book? Well, I think that's an, a really, really obvious candidate mm. to go for. Um, to be honest, after the, the effort of writing that first one, or, okay. or basically coordinating everyone else's efforts... But you also wrote it, wrote I, bits I wrote, of it as well. I, I wrote, about, I think it's about a dozen entries myself mm. out of the 1001. Um, but it was basically finding the people that knew about them yeah. and commissioning them and getting all of them, making sure they were all brought back in. That was my job to coordinate yes. it. That must have been um, a logistical nightmare in itself. It was a little bit hard, but yeah. <laughs> I, so, um, to be honest, um, it takes me a little while after I finish a project like that to get mm. the, the muster, the, the Urge to write again, you know. <laughs> Have it take a few years out, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, but if, if I was to do another one, yeah, I think children's would be the most obvious yeah, choice. And I've already bagged time slip because uh, that wasn't in your other book. <laughs> yes, quite right. You can definitely do that. And the Tomorrow People. Oh, I do the Tomorrow People as well. That's well. That's very generous of you, Paul. Thank you so much. It's an absolute pleasure. Bless you. This is Mark Elliott, who authored a book called The Ministry of Pop. We've got some great support from Scratch and Sniff, and I want to wish the show and Nick a very happy 10th birthday.
Daniel Liam Glynn's Changing Stations is an 11-track classical contemporary album based on the 11 main lines of the London Underground Tube Map. So I'm in the Blue Peter Garden two years on from when Daniel Liam Glynn's Changing Stations was released to the public. And I'm back with Daniel in the Blue Peter Garden at uh, Media City in Salford. A very good afternoon, Daniel. Thank you. Good afternoon to you too. Uh, what's been happening in the last couple of years? Well, quite, uh, quite a lot has happened since the album launch because I had an email. We interviewed one another the day after the album launch when yeah. my head was feeling rather, rather tender. Um, <laughs> But yeah, um, since then we've um, done a reissue of the album, but like a remix version of it that was called Changing Stations Derailed. Uh, that was released uh, online to like social, like online music platforms. I love the title, by the way. Yes, thank you. I was there for ages. Like, how can I do something that was kind of the same as the original, but you know, mess, messed up and changed around? We thought "Derailed" was quite, quite, quite a great name, um, and that was working with a friend and producer I know called Damien O'Brien. He works under different aliases like Designer Thumbs, Afferent, and Cassini Division. He does different, depending on what type of music he's working on. He did the whole collection of, uh, of the album for, for me. And I've had interviews with um, different people, Norwegian Air magazine, so different things um, around the globe and just trying to get my physical copy of the album out into stores that mm. I've managed to do, um, Piccadilly Records in Manchester, Rough Trade in London, um, and trying to work to get it through some of the independent record stores as well. That's fantastic. So what's the future then? Are you hoping to evolve this into other albums, other specific uh, ideas? Yeah, I've got a few ideas um, under my belt. Usually when I have an idea about something, it takes me about 12 months to kind of sit on it and think, is this a good idea, is it not? Um, and in between that, I've been trying to do the last bits that I can do for changing stations. I mean, it's, I hope it's an album that has a lot of life in it still. There's a lot of people that don't know about it. Um, but in regards to getting on new music, there's, you know, there's no doubt that I one day couldn't come back to changing stations. So there's a few things in the pipeline. Uh, nothing that I think is finite so far, but... Um, I'm still, um, as I was saying, trying to get the CD and the vinyl into different stores, hopefully across the globe as well, different independent record stores. That'd be good. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a massive project that you did and it, it deserves the highest profile possible. Yeah, definitely. I think in regards to how much time, blood, sweat and tears went into it, each time I think, God, am I, am I just keeping this going on for too long? I think, no, actually, I think it's, it's got a life in it because of the life that I put into it. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Daniel, it's so nice to catch up. Uh, congratulations again with the album, and I hope it, uh, it roars into the stratosphere. And, uh, yeah, best luck with everything. Brilliant. Thank you, and thank you so much for giving me my first ever interview for Changing Stations.
okay, final catch-up interview for part one of our catch-up collection. This show with a distinctively northern slant. No taxi for Randall, though, as I'm back in the studio and down the line again. I wonder who on earth it could be. <laughs> So I now have on the line the fantastic, the wonderful Shirley Houston. Hello, Nick. How are you? It's good to hear your voice. And uh, it was so lovely chatting to you last time that uh, I thought it'd be nice to have an update and to see uh, what's been happening since. We've had, I think, three series of Tinsel Girl on Radio 4, which I thought was fantastic. Terrified. I think terrified is the word. This time in five hours, I'll be on a plane to the Seychelles for my best mate's wedding. And if you're coming along for the ride, I suppose we should get to know each other. Me? I love duty-free and corny jokes. I hate lateness. I use a wheelchair. Oh, and I'm spending my last five minutes in my flat sewing cannabis into the lining of my suitcase. We're just starting looking at our next one. We're doing an afternoon play this time. We've had three series on Woman's Hour and we're moving over to afternoon play this time and then hopefully go back to Woman's Hour. OK, right. So it'll be a total separate entity. Um, also, something I really enjoyed a while ago, and I got to flag this up. It was a fantastic Radio 4 documentary on pain sufferers and creativity uh, that you fronted. I thought that was just fantastic. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I've noticed it for years because I am a chronic pain sufferer myself. And, um, you know, sometimes you can't do the basic things in life, but somehow if you're being creative, your body pushes through and it, it gives you... And I've always felt it gave my brain something. So I just wanted mm. to have a research. I pitched the Radio 4 because I wanted to see whether whether it was true and whether other people experienced it. And then we got some... Um, we got a, a professor of pain, very... Um, very clever man from Salford, mm. who's like the head of pain somewhere in the UK. And yeah, apparently it releases serotonin, releases natural steroids if you're creative. Because so, yeah, I, I find in my work I do outside of Corrie that uh, creativity does make a massive impact in many different ways. Mm. And I guess connected to that is your new disabled youth theatre group, Triple C, that you helped launch. And part of that being a mental health choir, which is fantastic. How did that get started? Um, it was Dan McDwyer's idea. It's um, a partnership between Triple C and Dan McDwyer, the choir master. Um, and he was just saying to me that he'd really experienced through his choirs the difference it made for people with mental health. And it was one of his dreams was always set up a choir for people with mental health. And I went, I think I know the people who can help you. So we met up, phoned the, and sort of identified the Bridgewater to be a great place to how's it bridgewater hall yeah but they generously give us their space each week and it's just brilliant we have a, over 200 members signed up uh, we get an average of about 60 a week um yeah and we we sang after 12 weeks at the Manchester memorial um sadly for the arena attack um mm. in albert square and some people hadn't been out of the house for years and then they sang in front of 10,000 people it's phenomenal just so proud of everybody who's a member of our choir and it's again creativity if you sing it releases your ser it releases serotonin but if you sing in a group it releases your love hormone um which obviously fills you with a lot of joyous um feelings and, and yeah it really does seem to have a 
really strong impact on people's well-being, which is great. Sure. I mean, I restrict my singing to the shower, Shirley, but um, I think we can all just... <laughs> um, in a group, you'd be fine, and particularly with our choir master, who's brilliant. I'm so... My friend turned to me and went, you're singing in tune. And I went, I've been, I've known him for 20 years and we went to drama school together and he was shocked. <laughs> <laughs> well, it all sounds wonderful. Um, it really does. Uh, there's also a lot of campaigning work, isn't there, when you're not acting? Um, I suppose I've always wanted to be an actor and then I, I realised actually things had to change from that for me to be able to do that. Mm. So uh, that sort of run alongside. And then also because Corey's so wonderful and they, they've made such a leap in the industry by the way they use me, by the way it's not about disability. Mm. You know, and you begin to see the ripples of that across all the soaps now. Yes, absolutely. Filtering to other areas of drama and stuff. So, yeah, they've really kindly given me a voice and my community hasn't got many voices, so you have to speak up because mm. you can't not. Uh, talking about Corrie... Um... Obviously, that's going strong as ever. I've noticed that, you, you know, you have a very strong storyline about cannabis use for Ellis-Danis syndrome to, to relieve the pain, which is obviously very topical. You know, the laws are changing now for that to allow people to, uh, you know, get pain relief. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it came legal um, I think a week last Thursday. Wow. Um, I'm still yet to find out what um, Ellis-Danis Society, uh, you know, where, because sometimes I know with... Um, other drugs it depends on what your disability or condition is and how it's released i know nothing about uh, the new stuff so i don't know whether that how widely available it is but hopefully because it did sit through the research i did with that storyline it makes a massive impact on people pain wise movement wise stops spasms makes people see better with glaucoma helps people with strokes so yeah it seems to do an awful lot of good epilepsy does an awful lot of different conditions it helps naturally which is brilliant um people using a lot of chemicals mm, it's just a no-brainer really and it, i think it, regardless of, of our condition we can understand why people should need that and the frustration that it hasn't been available for so long has just been it's just been crazy yeah i mean and yeah it's great that the world's yeah just from research it seemed that a lot of people needed that change because it was really difficult to get and it obviously was for many people the medication that worked the best so it's great that now the um it's it's come into the medicine world mm. well all hail coronation street for flagging this up via the role of izzy armstrong my mum she had m uh, m s yeah ms now i've got this particular product special stuff like straight to the pain nothing like it I've tried stronger before I had a bad reaction. Not, not stronger. No, it just, I don't know, targets it. Pain and that. No one knows how come it works so good. Yeah. That's how I got into this game. Scoring it for me, old man. She tried everything. Oh, I've tried everything. Well, no pressure. You might just want the regular stuff. It's cheaper. This pain one, it's hard to come by. Pricey. But worth every penny. I'll get me back. When you say pricey... Well, you get what you pay for. Don't answer. Oh, no, you keep her... Keep her here. Stay there. You're being detained for a drug search. How's the street going, then? You're still enjoying it? Yeah, Coronation Street is my favourite job. I love it. And the people are wonderful and the script's wonderful. Yeah, it's really exciting. Um, but... 
I have been doing other work outside. I've been um, <clears throat> just trying to change the way people with disabilities access the arts. So mm. looking at education, we've got our outreach project with Be Vocal Community Choir. And uh, we've also set up the Disabled Artist Networking Community, where we've had six meetings so far. It's been really successful. We Every couple of months in a different arts venue, and then the venue suddenly has 70 people with different disabilities. So they suddenly learn more access about the building. People then get face-to-face -face networking with the venue. We also have industry guests um, from many areas of the industry um, because it's all artists, all art forms. Um, so that way we've got a united voice and a presence. We've had people who've got agents, people who've had um, got art commissions, uh, writers have got jobs, directors. I, I mean, one thing I was going to mention, and it's something you, that you've been campaigning about, the, the protests about the disability living allowance, which I've just been appalled by. Yeah. I mean, I quite often post stuff on Facebook uh, um, about this, and you've been you know, one of the main sort of spokespeople about it. Uh, do you feel there might be any changes at, at all? Well, Nick, as you were asking that question, my head did go in my hands because it, it's so much more awful than ever we ever imagined. The, basically, if you have a disability, which means you need a lot of care and support, you used to be able to get your care from the council, which was, you know, your house, getting washed, fed, dressed, all food, you know, toileting, etc., any help you needed. Um, and then you'd have the ILF, which paid for, say, if you went to work if you were meeting family or friends, you know, it paid for your care. So people had full-time care. Now the ILF went, so that's 50% gone. And then people had their care cut, council have cut their care by a third. So you've gone from people who are having full 24-hour care, you know, maybe somebody who's paralysed on the neck down, to somebody having six hours care a day. You know, people are being asked to, or people are in incontinence pads who aren't incontinent. People aren't going out of the house. Councils are just... Manchester's quite hard hit. Some people I know only get three hours outside of the house a week, and so yeah, it's appalling. But then, then it's gone even a stage further with housing, and they're trying to put forced going into care homes. I know people who have been told if you need three more hours care a week to enable you to live independently, then you qualify as a care home. And we're talking about people in their thirties and their twenties. Mm. Um, it, it, it's just abhorrent, and, and the problem is because it's not widely publicised, people don't have a voice because they're so isolated and they're fighting for their basic human rights now. So you've got people, um, <clears throat> there's this lady who told this very eloquent story of how she was so proactive, she'd be very focused on trust boards, she'd be talking about this building, making changes, and then she'd gone to that to sitting in an incontinence pad on her own in a house, waiting for the next time somebody could make a cup of tea mm. in Exeter. As. You've got stories of people going to Tesco's in the night to put a straw in their cup. You've got people who, who are wheelchair users but are in housing that isn't adequate, suitable for a wheelchair, so they're stuck in bed all day. It's just, it's, it's mm. more awful than you'd ever imagine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I... I can. I mean, I've got a quite good imagination. I, I remember when I read about this coming into play. I mean, it's just really sad, and I I really hope that that, that change will happen at some point. The United Nations did a report on a systematic violation of disabled people's human rights, and I think they had several points on it, and it was released earlier this year, and still nothing has been done. Mm. Yeah, mm. that that and Brexit, eh? <laughs> oh, are you there? 
Yes, no, I was just sighing into my cup of tea. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. Look, we're not going to end this on, on a downer <laughs> at all. We really aren't. But I thought it was important to both flag that up and to sort of mm. salute, you know, the amount of incredible work um, that you're doing to, to try to make people aware of. The... Well, I'm trying, but, um, yeah. Obviously, I... you and other people as well, but, you, you yeah, know, I'm trying to you. <laughs> I, think, I think there's a massive voice out there, you know, and I, I'm really happy to have my voice to it because mm. it is terrifying what's been done and people are working relentlessly to fight this you know full you know full-time focus to fight this you know the disabled community has been amazing but we're, hmm. we're fighting for human rights you know to be able to get out of the house to be able to do all that i think you're respecting a bit too much Shirley. i don't know what the problem is <laughs> oh dear let's okay so let's put that one to bed for now but um can I just tell you, Shirley, that I was at the new set recently. I was having a good wander around, going in and out of people's houses. It was oh, fantastic. Right. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, it's great. And it's also really astounding when you open the door and there's nothing there, like the rovers, because your head always imagines there would be. I know. It was very weird. We did this thing with ITV Pride, so I got to meet the producer Ian McLeod and storyliner yeah. Martin Sterling. So they gave us sort of a chat and a Q&A. Oh, we were in speed dial, and I, uh, I, I really wanted to order some food because the menus are on the table. <laughs> I know. I always sit whenever we were in Roy's on Friday, and I was like, oh, I really fancy a veggie breakfast. <laughs> No, it was, yeah, you always do fancy what they're offering. And uh, any more work with uh, your wonderful spouse, Toby? Um, I always toy with the idea of us writing a bit of a sitcom. But what we are doing, actually, at the moment is uh, Tinsel Girl is based on a book which I never sorted out uh, to try and get published. Um, and so we're actually working through through it to um, make it more into because it was um, a story that I wrote over a year while I was on an adventure mm. and it's sort of in book form but it just I just need a bit of help with the grammar apparently I'm a bit Mrs Malaprop I can't say it <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, you get Toby. <laughs> Toby's thesaurus or whatever, he'll sort it out yeah, for us. Yeah, exactly. um, and you both have to be in Doctor Who as well, I've decided. Julie's in Doctor <laughs> Who and she denied it as well. It was hilarious. I, I sort of uh, I got her a bit flustered by saying, she said, oh, there's a couple of TV things I can't talk about at the moment. I said, Doctor Who, Doctor Who. She said, no, 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 it's not Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah, because that, that's at Corrick, you know, yeah, you just have to, you find out when the world finds out, I suppose, mm. everybody else because it has to be kept so under wraps. Absolutely. Well, listen, the very best with uh, more career opportunities and uh, the campaigning as well. I mean, I just take my hat off to you. You're just fantastic. And yeah. uh, and we all love you, Shirley. <laughs> oh, bless you. Oh, it's been a nice time, do you know what I mean? I'm I'm trying to make changes in things I enjoy and believe in, and that that's really you know exciting to do, and I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying Corey. Mm. Corrie is a great gig and, uh, you know, I have such affection for it. So long may uh, it rain and you rain in Corrie. <laughs> thank you very much, Nick. Lovely to talk to Listen, you. Listen, thank you so much, Shirley. That was uh, that was wonderful. That's a pleasure. The totally fabulous Shirley Houston there. Well, thanks to Shirley and indeed all my guests in part one of my past guest revisit in this SNS Online's 10th anniversary. We head back to London for part two coming soon and catch up with another crop of dazzling people.
But we sign out today with a track from Manchester's finest indie Britpop band to emerge for years, Puppet Rebellion, who featured on Series 3 of our online incarnation. A band who, for some inexplicable reason, never quite achieved the Wembley Stadium-filling success that they absolutely deserved, and in fact have recently disbanded after one brilliant album. Now, I can't begin to understand today's music industry at all, but I know what I love. This is Puppet Rebellion and Dark Thoughts. Until next time, I'm Mick Randall. Goodbye. I'm just unlucky, I guess Cause it seems like
It's basically about these incredibly brave, brilliant, extraordinary young women aged mainly between 18 and 28 who flew planes to the front line during World War II. Do you think Emily Davison wanted to kill herself that day? All her journalism is about martyrdom and fire and sacrifice and nobility and awakenings. It just reads like one long suicide note. I think she really meant to do it. Because I wanted the world to get better, and I knew it couldn't get better if it's going to be ruled by men. Matter of fact, I think it's amazing how well the men did for 2,000 years, considering they tried to do it alone. I really feel that all the things about being gay can help us as adopters, because we know what it's like to feel different, and we can share that with our children, and I think the level of empathy is, is quite unique and important. I thought to myself, well, if this is a twice-weekly programme uh, and going on throughout the year, um, I should be editor. So I gave myself uh, the, the job, as it were, and had it um, on the credits, and nobody queried it. It was extraordinary. Girls in the Women's Auxiliary Air Force are being called upon to handle many of the responsible jobs which were previously entrusted only to RAF mechanics and ground staff. And they flew without radar, without sometimes without training on that particular plane. You know, they'd have learnt on a tiger moth and they'd be given a spitfire. I don't think it did help me get a play rise, <laughs> but, the point, but, 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 but the point was, I suppose children's programmes were regarded as so insignificant, nobody bothered what went on. Pauline Gower was the woman who spearheaded it. She got equal pay for equal work. Yes, the first woman ever Which is very, very to topical in and the news at the moment. we are still fighting that battle in 2018. <laughs> How does that happen? Rise Up Women, a special season of shows exclusive to SNS Online.